the quantum mechanics. Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Um, Ben, we mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, or I did briefly, the James Webb telescope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I've been a bit, I've become a bit obsessed with it. And weirdly, astronomy has gone all clickbaity on YouTube. I don't know if you've noticed this. Oh, yeah, I have. I saw something briefly that looked like a jellyfish or something that it had taken a photograph. Yeah, so so they, they these videos generally have got uh, a really intriguing blurry picture and then the line saying the telescope has discovered something that will change everything. Um, or ones that say it spotted this structure deep in space. Could it be alien? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, spoiler alert and save you having to watch them. They're not alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course they're not. Of course they're not. But, there, but I mean, there is some... In, I mean, interestingly, there's some stuff I was watching about Pluto, which is really interesting, and um, some doubts that the telescope is casting on the Big Bang theory. Not necessarily that the whole thing is uh, is rubbish, but that elements of it may need to be changed from the discoveries, which is all great. But from a layman's point of view... I did something the other night, which was just amazing. I watched some of the live feed of Jupiter. Have you seen any of these no. live feeds? Wow, I didn't know you could do that. It was I, I just stumbled across it because I'd been, been drawn in by a lot of this clickbait. And it's a NASA live feed. I mean, I guess as live as you can get, you know, it's got to, the light's got to travel and it's got to get to us. But as live as you can get, it was like a whole view of the planet and then they'd zoom in on certain bits. Um... I think it sounded a bit like, you know, Jeff in engineering has got a JD-800 Roland synthesizer and was just playing along with a bit of kind of poor man's Brian Eno underneath it all. Um, but I started watching it and I thought, oh, actually, you know what, I'll, I'll put on some Brian Eno, turn the sound down and just watch Jupiter for a while. And, it, you know, for me, that's just amazing. Seeing it live is probably... I know from a scientific point of view, it may not be the most exciting, but really, I don't know, it just, there's something really moving and incredible about it. And this is on YouTube, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, and then I went to, but it also made me think, Ben, I went to have a look if there was a schedule of this stuff and when it is, and I did find a schedule, but it's it's a bit sciencey, and I couldn't quite work out what's going on, but I, I think that uh, maybe over the next few weeks they're going to be doing a similar thing with Saturn. And the, I mean, the resolution is amazing and what you can see is amazing. And it made me think about the episode we did about the ringmakers of Saturn. Oh, yes. So presumably we will now get to see those giant spacecraft that are making the rings. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, the, the summary of that episode, it's really worth going checking it out because it's, it's from this book of an ex-NASA guy who claimed that in NASA photos he found spaceships that they were hundreds of miles long, right? And they were huge, absolutely huge. And his theory was that the rings of Saturn were being made by some mining process or something that these spaceships were doing. But if we do cover Saturn in the next few weeks with the James Webb telescope, we may know for sure if they're, you know, 100-mile spaceships that are enconced in the rings of Saturn um, and if NASA don't show us Saturn that will start the conspiracy theories going right oh yeah 
I mean, that book was so bizarre. Um, I think, in reality, what it does is illustrate one man's mental breakdown as opposed to an incredible discovery of aliens living in some circles <laughs> around the planet. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know... I'm ready to be proved wrong. Well, also, Jupiter's got a ring, right? So are yeah, they yeah. suggesting that, you know, did they try Jupiter first, then move on to Saturn? There's so many questions to be uh, answered. But if you do get a chance, try and dig out the live feed, stick a bit of Brian Eno on or the KLF space, and uh, it's it's a very pleasurable evening. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's probably better than Mrs Brown's boys. <laughs> Definitely. So... Um, it's interesting that you talk about telescopes because this week I want to talk about inventions uh-huh. and, of course, mysterious and, in one case, certainly paranormal inventions. And I'm pretty sure that if I get to, if I start talking about inventions, a lot of you will probably jump to Stanley Mayer's water car. And yeah. that isn't where we're going, but just as a refresh, because it is worth going past there on the journey. You, do you re- do you remember this guy? I do. Yeah, I, I I I'm quite obsessed with this story. And there's some I I can't remember the details, but there's some weird thing where doesn't he die in a strange way after going to a diner, and that kind of added to the conspiracies. I, about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically the what what he did was sort of in one case he even claimed that he had invented a perpetual motion machine, and further that his water fuel cell car. Was be, would be something that could be retro-engineered into existing cars. And he famously had this vehicle that he drove around in. Um, and everyone got quite excited. And in fact, people did begin to put some money in. But <laughs> uh, you'll find this quote on Wikipedia, but I found it in another longer article. Um, Dr. Philip Ball, who, strangely, I do know somewhat, he, he wrote in um, Nature magazine that Mayer's claims were as pseudoscience and he said it's not easy to establish how Mayer's car was meant to work except that it involved a fuel cell that was able to split water using less energy than was released by the recombination of the elements and he goes on crusaders against pseudoscience can rant and rave as much as they like but in the end they might as well accept that the myth of water as a fuel is never going to go away. Um, I know I've said this on the podcast before, I think, when we talked about it, but it always reminds me that story of uh, that great bit in The Simpsons where Lisa uh, develops a machine that's got perpetual motion. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Homer says, you will not break the laws of perpetual motion in this house, which I just (laughs) one of my favourite bits of The Simpsons. (laughs) Well, they probably predicted this. Um, But you're right, he did die in a restaurant and ran outside saying they poisoned me. Right. Um, There is no evidence of that. He died of a cerebral aneurysm. Right. And all of his designs are now available to the public. And was he a con man or did he just have a belief? It's hard hard to know. But he, he he must have been constantly conning himself because he he said he was driving around in one of those cars, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it probably wasn't. Yeah. Or or he was... It, 
maybe he was doing something but hadn't quite tested it because it is c- completely possible mm. to have a hydrogen fuel yeah. cell yeah um it's just what you get out is less than what you put in always right always yeah 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 uh, and it's that thing of what he was saying is you get out more than you put in and uh, this is the the uh, i guess um what people who are inventing cold fusion and trying to get with cold fusion are trying to achieve. Yeah, it's trying to make that process as efficient as possible, but mm. the process is the process. Something's got to give, right, at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, stay with me, because we are, we are moving towards aliens. But before we go there, <laughs> um, along my investigation, I couldn't resist the similarity between this man and uh, Mayer. Have you ever come across the Sloot digital coding system? Oh, no, I haven't. Jan Sloot. So it was about 2004. There's a Dutch man, Jan Sloot, who he basically said that he'd found out a novel computer source code that he called the Sloot digital coding system, or the SDCS. Um, and quite similar to Mayer, as luck would have it, he died of a heart attack the day before he could patent his invention, wow. and the mysterious thing could never see daylight again. So what he claimed was, on a 1999 PC, he could play 16 movies simultaneously from a 64-kilobyte chip at high speed without reading from a hard drive. Wow. He was also able to store 64 full-size movies on a single chip. That's what he claimed. Was he planning on setting up a pirate video server? Is that his plan? <laughs> well, he was basically um, trying to get around the problem of, and obviously it was much more of a problem in the early 2000s yeah. than it is now, but the large amounts of data that you need to play a movie. And so his claim that he could get a movie down to eight kilobytes sounds ridiculous. That's less than one bit per frame of the video. So... So, so even like a, a basic Word document is can be bigger than that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, even just the blank file is bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you know anything about computer science, you could probably have worked out that he was a bit of a fraud. But he did get some people putting in some money. Um, but the, the weird thing is that the contracts that he'd signed meant that the day after he had his fatal heart attack, in inverted commas, he was supposed to hand over the source code to these people that had been giving him the money. Right. And... Did he definitely die, or is there some kind of conspiracy no, that he disappeared? No, he definitely died, but the conspiracy is that his lies were too much for him and he just committed right. suicide because he would have right. been exposed as a fraud because after his death... Um, the source code was never found on any of his computers or backup tapes. Right. There was no compression or decompression tools, nor any actual compressed files were ever found either. So there's no evidence at all for his claims. It, you know, after after he died, people went through all of his stuff. Nothing, nothing there. Right. Um, no, the autopsy wasn't actually performed. There wasn't one. Um but it, the, there's a writer here who says it's pretty likely that it was um, it was a way of uh, convincing people that he died of a heart attack. And the reason they say that is that in the fine print of the contract, if he died from natural causes, the investors didn't get their money back. Okay. Um, 
if he'd committed suicide, they would have taken his money. So his family got to keep the money that had been given to I them. I get you, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was just kind of a weird one and made me think about, you know, these people who either con themselves or con other people into believing something is... The impossible is possible. There must be a lot of this online these days with crowdfunding and stuff because it, it's, you know, yeah. arguably it's a lot... E- well, definitely it's a lot easier to get that kind of funding. There must be crowdfunding um, invention sites and all kinds of stuff with all weird stuff going on, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually bought a brilliant thing off a crowdfunding invention site. I don't know if I've shown it to you. It's a electronic robotic ear cleaner <laughs> with a camera in it and you control its little tongs using your phone so you can see right inside your ear... Wow. And clean it with these little... It's like operating some sort of space tool, but in your ear. Wow. I think it's brilliant. Wow, that's, that's so good. My girlfriend is terrified of it and won't <laughs> let it go anywhere near her. Or would you watch it on your phone? Is that with a cat where you can see the feed? Yeah, yeah, you connect it via Wi-Fi to your phone. Wow. And um, uh, But the your inner ear is not very attractive, I will say that. Yeah. There's a reason why it's the inner ear. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, let's move from a man who was possibly deluded, to one who actually proved his invention on live television. If we go back to 1990, and it's an episode on BBC TV of Tomorrow's World, and the presenter, Peter McCann, don't know what he's doing now, showed off a new plastic named Starlight. Does this ring any bells? (laughs) I, I remember that name, but I can't remember anything about the story. So, yeah, right. yeah plow on. We can, we can drop in a piece of the audio from the YouTube clip here, oh, okay, which cool. I've selected. An unconventional way of cooking eggs? Well, this is no ordinary egg. And in a moment, I'll be showing you the link between this and aircraft safety and what ladies' hairdressing has to do with both. But this torch here is producing a temperature of 1,200 degrees Celsius. Now try cooking an ordinary egg like that, and in a very few seconds, the results would be quite an explosion. But I'm going to leave this torch here, blowing on this egg for a couple of minutes before we crack it open. And it ought to survive the inferno because it's coated with a remarkable new plastic. What it's made of is a closely guarded secret. All the inventor will say is that 20 years' experience as a ladies' hairdresser led him to the discovery. Well, now several aircraft manufacturers want to test the material for fireproofing. And NASA has even asked for some samples to see if it might be suitable for the space shuttle. So how is it doing? Well, it hasn't broken up at all. And you can see on the front here it's glowing red hot. But just watch this. If I turn the flame off and remember that it was producing 1,200 degrees Celsius, and I take that charred bit and I put it flat in the palm of my hand, it only just feels warm. And if I then crack it open, what's more, the egg hasn't even begun to start cooking. They get a pair of eggs and put blowtorches on them. One egg shatters in seconds. The other one glows red hot whilst the flame hits it for minutes on end. When it comes off the stand, the eggshell is no more than warm to the touch and it hasn't cracked and it hasn't even begun to cook. It's still a raw egg. 
and it was coated with what Morris Ward, the inventor, describes as a kind of plastic, and it was called Starlight. Did he name it Starlight? It's he a great did. name, isn't it? It's light, like the American L-I-T-E, all one word. He is an eccentric hairdresser from Hartlepool. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a Morrissey lyric. <laughs> it, it does. It really does. The egg itself was proved to be nothing special. It was provided by the producers of the show. There's no trickery here. Right. It was Morris himself who daubed the starlight on the shell and passed it to the production team. And it was live on television. So... The, the only conclusion is that whatever he had provided was real because, you know, he didn't change the egg yeah. and they really did, as you will see in the clip, put a blowtorch on it. Well, there's two things about that. I mean, I guess I guess a immense sceptic would say, you know, maybe there was some sleight of hand or he'd managed to perform a magic trick. But then again, what could he have coated the egg in that would have given it that effect anyway. Do you know right. what I mean? I, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know enough about materials, but it sounds, if he's going on tomorrow's world to say, I've created this thing, you paint on an egg that can do this. Um, and I'm assuming they kind of did break open the egg and stuff. At yeah, the yeah, end. live on telly, yeah. So, so, yeah. Either something already existed that did what he wanted to do, which seems unlikely they would have got him on Tomorrow's World, or, yeah, wow. No, it doesn't, and I'm going to come on to that. Okay. But what his plan was, that it could be used in planes, electronics, um, wooden doors, plastic wiring. Basically, he thought that this could be the way of stopping fires in all sorts of different scenarios. JML would be selling Starlight oven gloves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there is the last time we came across a great fire retardant material, it turned out to be lethal, obviously, yeah, asbestos. Yeah, yeah. But, but this, he says, he, he made from normal household materials in his garage, basically, wow. and said it was completely harmless and it, you know, it needed to be tested. <laughs> he made so, it in his garage until it burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> that was the irony. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he he invited people to test it, uh, including NASA and apparently um, the 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 British uh, the British Army. And did they take him up on that invite? Well, we'll we'll come on to that. Okay. But before I do, you, you said you know how possible is this? And I I began to think you know well maybe maybe what he did was come across. Maybe there's a trick you could do using normal materials where if the heat is so intense in a particular scenario, it looks like magic, but it would yeah, never yeah. work, say, on the underbelly of the space shuttle for reasons. Got you. But I came across that there's a, a university, uh, UC Merkhead, and for 20 years they have been bringing students together in a semester where they try and reinvent Starlight. <laughs> wow. And they get somewhat close like they all they're able to do is use normal household materials they can't use any right. um fancy uh fancy polymers or anything because that's what um ward said that he did and the article i was reading uh there's a there's a reporter who goes to visit them and 
the students have so far created 150 different recipes for Starlight, <laughs> and they're about to put batch number 62 through the blowtorch test. Wow. And, and do they do the, exactly the same experiment with the egg? Well, what they try, what they first do, they haven't ever got that far. What they right. try to do first is see if it burns under a blowtorch. Right. And as this reporter watches, uh, they, they put uh, a blowtorch on it. It takes it to 4,000 degrees. And the material they've built kind of, they describes it, it blackens, it puffs up and crusts over, kind of like a marshmallow. But, it doesn't penetrate through the material. So it is somewhat fireproof, but it is nowhere near what he said. To, to what he said. Um, underneath, they've got a thermocouple, which reveals that the temperature is still 100 degrees at the bottom. So, And it wouldn't prevent an egg from, from, from being damaged. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, but they take it as a serious challenge i love the fact they do that though that's amazing so they you know and it's all based on tomorrow's world which was a great program in its day right? it, it was it was and this idea that uh, other people must be interested this, this is worth exploring so some of the people who sort of are on uh on his side is wrong but are arguing that he did have something say that he was just a terrible negotiator. There are kind of apocryphal stories of him saying to NASA, you can have a sample for a million dollars. And then the next day he says, no, sorry, I meant $10 million. Right. And they people just give up and go, I can't, can't, I can't deal with, with this hairdresser. Right. No. But when you really dig, the story of Starlight still isn't over because there is now two companies who are affiliated with Morris Ward's family who claim they're carrying on the legacy. And there's another one that says it bought the recipe from the wards. So um, there's a there's an article in The Guardian... Uh, sorry, there's an article in The Telegraph which kind of explored this, and it's called Starlight, the Nuclear Blastifying Plastic that Could Change the World. But it relies quite heavily on... Ward's original testimony right. on the issue. Right. So in the article, it claims that three tests were made by reliable government bodies, two in Britain and one in the United States. Uh, so according to Walsh, these are his words before he died, the defence establishment was watching. In July 1990, Ward was invited to the British Atomic Weapons Establishment at Foulness, so they're the people that look after our nuclear arsenal. Right. And so if that's true, AWE should have some information on it, shouldn't they? Definitely. So their website is quite user-friendly. But if you do a search for Starlight, uh, it comes up empty. Right. And there's also a PDF of historical documents. You can go through all those. The supposed tests were in 1990. There's only a handful of files that cover that year. And none are related to Starlight. Right. Ward then goes on to say that in 1993, there were tests at the Royal Signals and Radar Establishment in, Mar in Malvern, and Starlight was pulsed with lasers that would normally have burned through polymer. Instead, as was reported in a defence review, um, apparently, Starlight showed little uh, damage to the surface merely small pits with an approximate diameter of beam and little evidence of melting. 
There's a big problem with this, though, because according to Wikipedia, PSRE no longer existed in 1993. Ah. So that couldn't have happened. And at that point, it became part of the Defence Research Agency. And the British National Archives have records of the uh, the RSRE. However, those only lead up to 1991. After that, there's no evidence, uh, no information is accessible. So what does all this mean? This means that either he was lying or there were some tests and they've covered up. So I decided that I would submit a FOIA request to AWE. Love a freedom of information request on this podcast. Yeah. Now, they have 20 days to come back unless they acknowledge and reset the clock. And that's what they've done to me. So it's, wow, is that unusual? Or is that kind of standard? Is, are, are, you, are you implying there could be something no interesting about that, or is that just normal procedure? No, think? I think it's normal procedure. Right, but right. what I am saying is, I was hoping I'd have this for this podcast, but I'll have to bring it to you at a subsequent time. Well, something to look forward to. But AWE, um, they do have quite a few. If you if you look at the uh, the website what do they know dot com there are quite a few people asking them for things and they seem to come back with okay. sufficiently um, sufficiently detailed replies except uh, of course they look after nuclear weapons so <laughs> quite a lot of it is like redacted or we can't could, tell you be, yeah you're going to get some kind of document that's just like black ink black uh, black highlighter all the way through yeah that's right yeah and, and what, I'm just curious what what did you ask for in your request. I asked if they had ever tested a material known as Starlight right. to see if Ward was lying. Right. And there's another thing which makes me think that Ward was lying. Because this is this is an interview he gave, again, to The Telegraph. And this is an extract of it. And he says, They'd been trying to get something to withstand a nuclear flash for 45 years, and we did it in five minutes. He said, I was reluctant to take part at first. I was happy with my egg. It was just a challenge that I didn't want to lose. This was a different league. Starlight-coated eggs were subject to light energy sources that stimulated a nu- simulated a nuclear flash, equivalent to a temperature of 10,000 Celsius. They did it twice, and it was still there. Charred, but intact. The foulness equipment couldn't keep up. I said to one scientist, are we doing all right? And he burst out laughing. He said, normally we do a test every couple of hours because we have to wait for it to cool down. Now we're doing it every 10 minutes and it's sat there laughing at us. Now, if the project was so top secret, there's no way Ward would have been allowed to have to tell anybody yeah. that. And the Telegraph would certainly not be allowed to publish it. Yeah. And I don't even think Ward would be allowed into the, they, the establishment to even see what equipment they've got. We're talking really, really high level. And to this this detail of a scientist laughing, going, oh, yes, they we're doing this every 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, it sounds like they're, they're cracking open the beers and going, oh, we've solved we've it. We've done it, yeah. If that was true, then there wouldn't be a shonky little website <laughs> without any patented material for Ward's stuff. So, um, going back to AWE, this 10,000 degrees Celsius laser, there is something that they have called the Orion Laser Facility, which heats things to 10 million degrees. And 
I am hoping that in my FOIA request there'll be reference made to this because I have specifically asked. Right. Um, but if you want to go and have a look at where it is now, you could go to www.starlight the... Uh, Starlight. This is what happens when you read uh, web addresses. Starlightthermashield.com. So it's a really easy URL. That, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's really because when you read it, it looks like Starlight the Mass Shield, uh, but Starlightthermashield.com. I oh, will still we'll stick it in the show notes. So um, if if it's easier, yeah. <laughs> Because I'm trying to write that down with the pen and I'm not even sure I know how to spell it. <laughs> so that's been going since 2013 and they've still not done anything with it. So the, ch- the chances of nine years passing with a material that was making a scientist break into hysterics yeah. in a secret weapons laboratory. That, that anyone could make in, in their own garage. Yeah. And when you look at the standard of that website... I mean, I'm terrible at building websites, but I could have built their website in an afternoon. I think that this is a very curious mix of delusion, a scientific effect that isn't necessarily well understood, and therefore uh, it has yet to be explained how this egg on tomorrow's world worked. But it's it feels like there's a more simple explanation than a hairdresser in a garage managed to build something that billions of dollars of NASA money have been unable to replicate. But it does sound like it. he'd come up with quite an elaborate plan to fool the BBC and tomorrow's world, though. Yeah, well, um, what happened on television really did happen. Yeah. But what was it? What it was, I suspect he... Had, he had found a way, like I say, something that worked on eggs, but you couldn't paint it on your car or use it in an engine because of the peculiar way things work. You know how, um, you know, it's possible to walk barefoot through hot coals and not be injured. There's an effect. It it feels like there's something like that. that Well, even eggs, isn't there? There's, you know, because of the... I mean, the egg is a pretty well-designed piece of kit in that sense you know it can take a lot of weight if it's uh if it's in the right position can't it it's only you know sharp yeah yeah sharp objects whatever can crack it but it they are quite strong eggs they are they are i mean whether they could yeah <laughs> with standard nuclear blast is another thing <laughs> the only thing after world war three that is left <laughs> are <sense>. chickens yeah. <laughs> and it's nando's <laughs> <laughs> You see, Nando should have invested in Starlight. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do think that is particularly odd and eccentric and brilliant uh, for yeah. all those different ways. Well, and also, you know, like you said, the his description of going to the facility and testing it and everything—that's so detailed, isn't it? It is, but you know, when you lie, yeah, you yeah. tend to add detail. Yeah, that's I mean, true. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't say. The handsome scientist, the only yeah, one that was yeah. allowed to touch my yeah. invention, yeah. <laughs> ran his head, his head, hands through his glossy hair and told me this was the most incredible thing he'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to come on to my favourite one okay. because... Well, that, was, that one was pretty good. Well, this one really is paranormal. Oh, lovely. So you know how much I love Bob Lazar. 
Yeah. And who wouldn't love Bob Lazar? I want him to be honest and true, yeah. and I want his stories to be real so very much. Yeah. I don't know if they are. I haven't decided. One day I think they are. One day I think they're not. Yeah. Um, Same. But Same. his his stories are so fabulous, and. I've known about this story for a while, but I hadn't investigated it. And it's the idea that the transistor was created from backwards engineered alien artifacts. So what, like the simple transistor you'd get in a radio or whatever? Yeah. Wow. And I've got, I've been trying to find some information because I knew that this was out there in the scientific community, but right. it's very, very hard to find details about it. But I have found a transcript of a lecture given by Jack Schulman, who is president of the American Computer Company at the Global Sciences Congress. And what I read blew my mind. The title of his lecture is How Could AT&T Have Created the Transistor So Quickly in 1947 without the input of alien technology. So he's setting this up for us at the front. Uh, yeah, I'm already yeah. hooked. As I say, this is from 2004. <laughs> See, clickbait goes back a long way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, this is not clickbait. This is hidden within a PDF that is linked to within another PDF <laughs> right. on a really random website of all kinds of uh, lecture notes and stuff which have nothing to do with aliens. Right. It took me a full 12 hours to find this. Wow. Because I wasn't giving up. So I've already told you who he is, but in his words, he says, I'm the head of American Computer Company. American Computer Company is part of the Technology International Group and Bell North America Group of Companies. Right. So this is not... It's not a fly by night. No, no. This is not a man operating out of his bedroom. I'm also one of the owners of the group of companies. I've been in the computer industry for 28 or 29 years. And he goes on to list his incredible career. He's been at IBM. He's been, um, he was uh, researching uh, algorithms at a company called Simplicity Partners, uh, Simplicity Patterns, I'm sorry. Um, he, he's, he was building operating systems for Citibank in 1975. Wow. We get the idea. He knows what he's talking about. He's, yep. he's a guy. Yep. He says, I grew up in central New Jersey, which is around where the AT&T and Bell Labs originated. And my friend's father was the head of Bell Labs. I ended up at a private school and ended up living at the household of the head of Bell Labs, going to that private school and going to college with his son as a roommate. And I kind of grew up around the various projects at Bell Laboratories in the late 1960s and early 1970s. I'd always held out that AT&T was this rather magnificent institution. After all, AT&T and Bell Laboratories ran our nuclear arsenal for 45 years or so. So it has a certain kudos. I mean... We've just been talking about AWE. This is yeah, the, American the American version. The American equivalent, yeah. It always seemed to me that AT&T always had what it needed to make inventions, uh, innovations in technology, and subsequently such technology would migrate to an IBM or a Sarnoff Research or to an RCA. So these are like commercial um, technology partners in yeah. the States. And he says, I could never really figure out in the course of my young life who were these magnificent, incredible scientists other than I frequently met them, like a fellow by the name of William Shockley, and these names will come up, 
and he also references Bob Noyce and Jack Kirby. He says these names, if you've never worked at AT&T or in the electronics industry, are holy grail names. They are the Mount Rushmore of the technology industry. Jack Kilby is credited with the invention of the integrated circuit. He goes on to say, I was rather shocked when, about late 1995, a dear friend came to me. He was at one time one of the very well-known generals in the Pentagon, a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and is now a consultant. I'd known him for a very long time, through the Morton family and Bell, when working for IBM. He asked me to analyse some documents which he had in his possession, and he showed me some pictures. And I kind of turned up my nose, I said, I don't believe this. He suggested that they were pictures of an alien craft. Mm. I said to him, well, why do you come to, to me and ask me this? Because there are some documents that fell into my position that I would like you to see that go beyond these drawings, these pictures, these photographs that describe some technology. And I would like you to analyse this technology and make a determination for me on the veracity of these documents. Help me authenticate them. I said, fine. I don't believe this is real. I'm sceptical. I don't believe in aliens. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in any of that. And he said, okay, well, I still want you to take a look at them, Jack. And I agreed. Now, again, if you've ever worked for AT&T, you know that the laboratories at Bell Laboratories are quite distinct. And the documentation from a laboratory is kept in an ongoing, growing tome called a Lab Shopkeeper's Notebook. It turns out that even in the super-secret laboratories, the ones in, the, in parts of Western Electric or Bell Laboratories that manage the nuclear arsenal, these notebooks are still kept, and they grow, and they're ongoing, and they become almost like a living representation of what that laboratory does for a living. Well, such as it is, I was rather shocked at what I had to see in it there in these boxes of materials, and I convinced them to let me look over them over the course of a three-and-a-half-week period. They were kept at the consultant's house during that time period, and he actually kept a security guard with them at all times because he was afraid that someone might come and steal them. Now, of course, I wasn't sure why he was afraid because at the time I didn't realise the full magnitude of what I was looking at. In any event, after two or three weeks of looking at them, I came back to him and we sat down over what turned out to be Christmas Eve dinner. And I said to him, I've got to tell you something. I'm having a real problem with this because what you're showing me looks like technology that we have not yet developed, that humanity has not yet developed, yet the documents you're showing me appear to be 48, 49 years old. That would put them in the 1947 to 1949 period. I suggested to him that before I could proceed, I would have to have someone verify the age, carbon date, or come up with some other means to verify the age of the documents. And he agreed. So with the help of a mutual acquaintance, a private investigator formerly with the Justice Department, we were able to take fragments of the documents without damaging them. We sent them to an expert who formally consulted for, doc for Scotland Yard. He's a well-known uh, forensic scientist. I believe he's at the Edinburgh, uh, University of Edinburgh today. He was at a different university at this time, but he analysed these fragments of the documents for me. And he came back and told me that the ink, the paper, even the presentations were valid. And this was in fact a book or series of books from the 1947, 48, 49, 50 time period. Wow. So he's already shocked at what he's seeing. And he's giving us this star-studded backdrop to what he's about to reveal. In these documents that he's looking at, 
They included communication technology that was described only as having been taken from an object of unknown or unearthly origin. The documents were very carefully worded not to reveal what it was. In reality, in these boxes of materials. I was sort of at a loss at that juncture because even though we had forensic information at the time from this particular forensic expert that would date these boxes back to the late 40s, and even though they said Western Electric Bell Laboratories on them, part of them said something called Z Division on them. We knew of the Z Division. It was a segment of the United States Army formed in 1947 and 1948. The implications were that this project was operating on the fringes of the nuclear bomb development project, then known as the Manhattan Project Group. And this is, as I'm reading this, the hairs on the back of my neck no, are standing up. Amazing. There's a lot to this. This is a very long lecture. I am pulling out the salient points. Um, All right, although I was thinking... It was such a bad kind of way to describe the division. If you want to get somebody's attention, <laughs> do you know what I mean? The Z division. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bell Labs, yeah, got that. AT&T, uh, that's yeah. good. What part do you work in? Oh, the, the, the Z division. Yeah, I mean, E division. Nobody would give a shit, but <laughs> you're in the Z division. Uh, oh, yeah, I work at Cool Labs. <laughs> in the... Shh, division. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, wow. Okay, keep going. I'm just, I'm, I'm in. This is incredible. We decided one day at American Computer Company that we were going to be brave. I talked with my board and I talked with some of the people at the company and they agreed. Yeah, we can try this and see what happens. We decided that we were going to take the story that had been conveyed to me about this unusual shopkeeper's notebook with these unusual technology artefacts in them and put them on the internet. <laughs> now, that was probably the stupidest thing we ever did. <laughs> on our website for American Computer Company, there's this picture of a Roswell alien lander sitting on a panel in the middle of a computer company website. So there's a picture of a craft? Uh, yeah. Have you got it? No, because oh. the website got taken down. Oh. I know. Oh. The reaction we got... Bloody Z Division! <laughs> <laughs> the reaction we got was not the one we had anticipated. Three days after we placed the image onto our website, we received a very strange series of military faxes to our tech support fax machine, referring to a piece of hardware known as Sky Station. We were receiving live messages from Sky Station for a day or two. And we decided this wasn't right. We were going to call the Pentagon and tell them about it. So I picked up the phone and first I called Fort Monmouth. Then I called down to Langley Air Force Base. They wanted to know, why are you calling Langley Air Force Base? Well, where else could I call about a satellite that's sending messages to our fax machine? Finally, we got through to someone who was of authority. It was Colonel James that we got through to, and he gets on the phone with me. I'm in my car, on my car phone, and he says, Mr. Shulman, please secure these faxes. Do not let anyone see them. We'll take care of it. We'll let you know what to do with the faxes. That next day, our offices were broken into. <laughs> the front door was smashed. There was glass everywhere. My office was a wreck. 
We're not even supposed to see or even know about such a thing, but inadvertently, as a result, we became aware of the fact that there is an orbital defence space platform called Sky Station, which is nuclear-hardened and equipped to carry nuclear weapons because it was described in these faxes. It's not a very pleasant place to be to discover that now, here we are at the end of the Cold War, and there's an agreement out there that there will be no nuclear weapons in space in orbit, but there apparently is a platform up there that the United States secretly put up back in the 60s, and that's equipped. So now, not only did we have pictures of an alleged alien spacecraft on our website, talking about alien technologies being transferred to AT&T, but we were also in possession of very high-level, level level 5, top security clearance military faxes describing something called Sky Station. That week, we had visits from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. They came up and interviewed us. They put me through a day of third degree. We didn't want it happening in the middle of our customers coming in and seeing us or selling personal equipment and servers. So I took them to an out-of-the-way part of the office, down the hall, down to the elevator, a little office downstairs. And I got a query about everything, just short of, well, it included my shoe size, where I was born, names of parents, names of grandparents, when they entered the country, driver's license, everything. I just got this vision of a customer coming in and saying, (laughs) my mouse isn't working properly. Have you any idea what's going on out there? You and your mouse. (laughs) Backwards engineered that mouse. Um, (laughs) But this, this gives you a measure of the man. Instead of backing down, turning it all off, we would go the other direction. Oh, oh <laughs> it up. So we moved the picture to a separate section of our website and created an entire website within our website <laughs> called American Computer Company Special Investigation. <laughs> Was he trying to get himself killed? <laughs> I mean, you found out you're doing all this stuff you're not supposed to do. There's a thing called Z Division who are after you. You're getting faxes from a nuclear satellite in space that you've just discovered let's double down we tried to be a little cute we put up a picture and if you go to our website it's still there unfortunately listeners it isn't um it used to be at accpc.com and it was on the bottom uh, there was a nav bar on the bottom um but uh it's it's all gone it's all gone no and nobody took kind of I've looked for screenshots somewhere. They must be there, but I couldn't find anywhere. Oh, please, if anybody's Um, got any of this stuff. Oh. He goes on to describe that the amount of traffic it was getting, it was on one internet server and he had to move it to five internet servers. Um but that's that's kind of where the story ends because Can I just stop you there? What what was the time frame of that again? When that where when was all that happening? So he he puts um, that stuff up on the website in the in the nineties, right? So um, it was still there in two thousand and four, and then it went. But I'm not sure it went nefariously because ACC got bought and is now part of another company, and so the ACC website doesn't even exist, exist there. No, right, right. but I think a lot of people might have come to this story through word of mouth, through internet law. And this this was used to be discussed quite a lot on bulletin boards right. and IRC uh, chat rooms. Now, I think pop- probably all of that chatter is long gone because those those platforms are deceased. Yeah. But I had no idea that it wasn't just backwards engineering alien craft. There was another 
set of of things about this and the the quality of the people involved in that story that's incredible and the the platform he is using to deliver this story so you know this is at a computer convention this is not at alien con or anything like that um and he's you can find him on linkedin he's still very much um alive and kicking does he still refer to this or is he just is he for is he you know i mean is he put uh, it in the things of history so he's never come out and gone oh it was all a bit of a hoax or anything oh no 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 he's um every reference i have found to this this is the most detailed account of the story i've come across but he he you will find him talking about it in other places wow but the 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 sort of the the way that i can simplify the story is the documents that he sees which have a chain of command which he verifies through these documents show that at&t was given material enough that they could create transistors in 47 mm. when we had never we weren't even looking at semiconductors really at right. that point i was going to say was it you know that's always a good a good sign of something going on when this technology just boom appears yeah. right and and a lot of people put it down to uh you know a wartime technology boom um mm. post war thing or it could have been through an Operation Paperclip kind of thing where yeah. there was research going on in Nazi Germany, something like that. Yeah. But he has this evidence that, no, it's not only is it from uh, alien spacecraft, it's from Roswell. And I like the way he points out in there that they make great detail, they, they make um, great effort, rather, to avoid detail about what the object is. So they don't say it's from a disc, they just say it's from an unexplained object right. or an unearthly object it's obviously i mean i don't know why they didn't just go it's a spacecraft of uh, of extraterrestrial origin but they don't right and so i'm assuming he's still got those photos and documents has he or is there an implication that you know they were all stolen in that breaking no 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 he, d- he doesn't actually say e- right. either way um i hope he's still got them but it, it if this is if this is true, not only does it paint a different picture of technology development, yeah, but it also might explain why, for example, the Cold War did end. Yeah. Because if there is this thing floating around in space with nuclear weapons on it, yeah. and you say to your enemies, well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but we could just drop one on you in in a few seconds out of space. Well, it does. It does make you think because that's the whole thing with Ronald Reagan and Star Wars, wasn't it? it? It's it's pitched in history as this huge bluff that Reagan managed to pull off to help bring down the Cold War. Maybe it is a it's a bluff within a bluff that actually there was something there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. That's incredible. I know. I know. I loved. I loved. I've never heard that. that story before. That's incredible. I you see. I remember. In a previous, in a previous, uh, like not not in a previous, not in a reincarnation, but when <laughs> no, I left, go really paranormal, <laughs> aren't you? When I left university, when I was in fifteen thirty three, and I was living in Pompeii. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, I was uh, I was Cleopatra. No, um, I remember. So when I talk about these things on um, bulletin board systems and stuff on the like the BBS, um, I worked for a while after I left university at a computer support 
sensor and because it was quite boring we would hang around on those bbs boards you know just chatting you know like pop groups and stuff like that right. and i came across this chatter about the at&t stuff and i did at the time look at the website but i just thought oh, this is a big april the first right, right. thing because they like this would be 97 ish when i saw it and the internet was still full of people having a larp you know it was yeah even big corporations had websites that looked like they were built in GeoCities and well you'd had john titer and all that by then hadn't you? yeah 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 but you know they would have even big companies would have like web counters you know hit counters yeah and there'd be a guest book and there would probably be a web ring link and all of that stuff from the early things and you arrive at a very serious website and it starts talking about roswell and you're like nah, well yeah, they're right. just they're just having some fun but no so I was going to say, was that is that the dates don't work for Roswell for the transistor? Does it? I can't remember my dates. Yeah, it does. It, it does, does, right? Yeah, okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew it was around then. Oh wow. Okay. So that is what he's saying. It, or is it just implied that it's come from Roswell? Or they're saying no, it was well, Roswell. Does it, it? Does it confirm Roswell and all this other stuff as well? He he describes it as um, the Roswell lander. Right. Is okay. what he says. Oh, okay. Okay. But wow. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot in there. Like, um, I, that, what I read to you there is probably one tenth of what he covers, but it's the, it's the core bit of the, um, uh, of the story because he does come across things like, uh, and this is, you know, this is probably more closely aligned to what Bob Lazar was looking at. Um, there were uh, there's description of spe- special metals to produce moving parts for right. anti gravity propulsion units, for yeah. example. So um, he also talks about you know at the time he's working with Intel Pentium processors and even Cray supercomputers, but within the documents there is descriptions of how to construct uh, semiconductor materials in sandwich-like layers, very, very thin, microscopic thin layers, to um, uh, for very powerful control systems. Right. And so what he thinks he's kind of looking at in parts of it is, like, one, how to build these things, and second, how to control them. And there's a whole load of information there. But he says it, it's, it, it reads like science fiction, mm. but it blows his mind when he discovers it comes from a real place. Now, the only thing I will say because we always have to take both sides of it, is when Bob Lazar is interviewed, he says sometimes people in his position were given documents which were mostly real, but they insert a little bit mm. of of something in there. So if, if you go around and talk about it, they'll know where it came from. Right. So is it possible that, you know, some of this is true... But they put in the Roswell bit so that if he talks about it, they know where it comes from. And and it'll, you know, for a lot of people, it'll be ridiculed. Well, you did it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you did it when you first came across it in the forums. Of course. You know? We of were talking course. about it earlier with me 
with the clickbait, weirdly, that, you know, you now I don't watch those videos, even though I was quite enjoying them, because it's like, well, you're clickbaiting me, I'm not going to watch it. So, yeah, interesting. I think that... I think that he's probably telling the truth, but... Yeah. But he may have... He may, may have, have been, been yeah, way. yeah. Or inadvertently conned, even. Yes, inadvertently conned. Yeah, I think so. But I have heard that theory around um, with Bob Lazar as well, even to the stage where certain, like, scenes and things and equipment had almost been faked to kind of create this air of, you know, an opaic... Uh, environment for people to work in because you want to keep certain aspects of it secret it's a bit like you know i I, i've referred to it a couple of times there was a great um documentary on area 51 not from a alien or paranormal point of view but the development of you know new technology you know new bombers and stealth bombers and all that kind of stuff and you know just just the stories and the people like there was a guy who was a one of the senior test pilots but his wife thought he was a hoover salesman do you know what i mean they're going to that level of even fooling your own family that it's an environment of truths half truths and complete lies that everybody's working in right Mm, yeah yeah exactly which which makes it very i mean that is the nature of this beast it makes it very very hard to to understand because it's is it even possible that something even stranger than aliens is causing this in which case <laughs> you'd you'd build up the alien story yeah because if it was for example time travelers or people from another dimension or beings from another dimension you probably you know you'd kind of go oh sorry just tell them it's aliens it's easier um because otherwise, if they start going, oh, no, they're us, but from a thousand years in the future, mm. that's even more mind-blowing. And it's worse because then people will go, well, can you tell us t- tell us what's happening in the next 10 years? Like, you, you know, it would blow people's minds even more than aliens. He, so. got, he, he got back to 3033 and they said, what do you mean you left the special paint in the hairdressers? <laughs> 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 And that is how the stories tie up. <laughs> wow, that is a that's amazing. Whatever it is, it's amazing. Well, there's a couple of brilliant things in there. I'm really interested to see if anything comes back from your freedom of information request. Obviously, if something amazing comes back, we'll be doing another whole episode on it. If not, we'll be saying, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um uh, I will. Uh, I'd love, though, if anyone out there, because we've got a very knowledgeable audience who listen to us, if anybody remembers this story, this last one that Ben was talking about, if anybody remembers seeing that website, would be incredible. Or the photos. I'd love to get a description of what they said this craft looked like. It'd be amazing. Mm. Or a screenshot would just blow my mind. That would be great. Yeah. Wow. Great research, Ben. You really, uh, you really pulled out the stops there. 
You may just get us both killed with your freedom of information requests, but I'm glad you did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, my favourite thing was I didn't realise that um, the people that look after our atomic weapons are called Or. Really? Well, AWE, yeah. Yeah. We need to work on these names. They're really just shooting themselves in the foot with, you know what they called section z and all this kind of stuff yeah <laughs> i'm from or division section z yeah. <laughs> they sounds like something out of doctor who doesn't it yeah but then it's always really dull because like you know when in the early days of when the government started having cobra meetings you go yeah. oh cobra that sounds like something out of james bond and then it's just really boring what it stands for isn't it yeah it is boring and it always makes me feel want to curry whenever i hear it oh yeah i hadn't even thought about that yeah um i just i just think they should have a snake as a mascot (laughs) anyway anyway well that was brilliant ben and we will um let us know what you think like subscribe uh review we've again we keep getting some really really nice reviews so thank you everyone who's doing that uh we'll be back next week don't know if we'll have our freedom of information request back by then but um we'll definitely have something for you next week so i hope you enjoyed this episode see you next week on the quantum mechanics see you next time bye bye Quantum mechanics.